Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. This is your host, Mike Abadir, and I am joined by my co-host, Gino Bacola. We've got a great show for you guys today. At the bottom of the hour, we have Andrew Champagne from the Daily Racing Forum. And for those of you guys who are tuned in, hoping to hear Caleb Keller from TBG, he will be on with us next Thursday, as well as Los Alamitos voice, Ed Burgart. So let's get right into it, Gino. Lots of hot topics to talk about in the sports world. The biggest to me is the college football playoff and the system that's employed to select their final four teams. What do you think of the four teams that were selected? Where do you have a beef? And uh, let's just use that as a starting point. Yeah, I think they picked the right four teams, um, to be honest. And, you know, no matter what, whether you have it be a four-game playoff or I think the only next logical step would be an eight-game playoff. And I think that really does make the most sense. What you could do then, Mike, is you'd get the five conference champions, and then you'd have three at-larges. So you'd have the Big Ten, the Big 12, the Pac-12, the SEC, and the ACC champs. They're automatically in. Then you have three more at-large teams. So, for example, this year, it would have been something like Clemson number one versus number eight, Auburn. Number four, Ohio State versus number five, USC. Number three, Georgia versus number six, Alabama. And number two, Oklahoma versus number seven, Wisconsin. Now, the way I got those numbers is just kind of the way like the NBA or their sports have done it. If you win your you win your conference, you're automatically slotted in as one of those one through five slots. And then the next three top teams are the at-large bids that slide into the six, seven, and eight spots. So it wouldn't be a lot different. And we're actually getting an Ohio State-USC game, in which I think is going to be the best bowl game or one of the top bowl games because it's just a sexy matchup with two really big schools that – have really high ceilings and really low floors. So for me, I think the only next logical step would be expand it one more time. That way you get all the big five conference champions in, you get three at-large teams in, and that may even help, you know, in future years for a team like South Florida who went undefeated this year, or, you know, past years we've seen the Boise State of the world, teams like that, Utah even years back. Um, It'll give an opportunity with, you know, eight, one through eight to maybe let, a team that isn't in one of those big five conferences sneak into one of those at-large bids. You know, I don't know if the big conferences want that to happen because they don't they want to deal they with the embarrassment the of losing to a Boise. You know what well, I mean? Perfect example. The Pac-12 does not want that to happen, and it has really has nothing to do with losing to a team like Boise. They want to keep the Rose Bowl, which to me, I love the Rose Bowl. I love the tradition. But, you know, Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott he does. He's not voting for expansion from four to eight because then what happens is every, you know, every few years the Pac-12 loses the Rose Bowl in particular, like this year when it's one of the playoff games for the uh, the college football playoff. I don't know why you'd rather have the Rose Bowl every year than an opportunity every year knowing that your Pac-12 conference champion is going to be playing for a national championship. That's what's a little bit frustrating. So what Larry Scott is saying as a commissioner of the Pac-12 is he'd rather have his teams play in the Rose Bowl, even though that will likely mean they are not the national champion because they are not in 
one of the bowls instead of being one of the final eight with a chance to, you know, move on and win the whole thing. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that there's not a lot of college football tradition in yes, the West Coast, exactly. right? And so the Rose Bowl really is the only thing that they have to hang their hats on. So I, you know I think they could find a way to incorporate it into the playoffs, similar to what they're doing this year. But for me, I, you know, if I'd always, I'd always want my team or a team in my conference to be having an opportunity to play for a national championship versus an opportunity to win a Rose Bowl. And that's just me. So you had no beef then with Alabama getting in over Ohio State, I take it? Not really, no. I mean, I do think that you should have – I do think it's a little weird that if you don't win your conference, you're in. I, I think Alabama's better than Ohio State. I mean, if you're if you're going to make the, the argument with Ohio State, then you can make the argument with USC too because USC had two better losses than the losses that Ohio State had. Ohio State got blown out twice. You know, so did USC didn't get blown out by Washington State. They got killed by Notre Dame. Those are two teams with three losses. They're not bad. But I don't think USC was a national title type team. So I think I think they were right. If you get beat that badly in a game like Ohio State did to Iowa, I don't think they're necessarily deserving of having a higher resume than Alabama. Um, and it's funny, Alabama's favored to win the whole thing. So, you know, Vegas-wise, they're the best team. I was actually going to say the same thing, which is I think that's how they looked at it, which is who is going to win this whole thing? Who's most likely to win this whole thing? Who is the best team? And if it's Alabama, how can we leave them out? And you're absolutely right. I think what did in Ohio State ultimately was that Iowa game. I think if they if they lose that game by a last second field goal, even I think that probably is enough to propel them. But when you get blown out by them and I think also the fact that a lot of people didn't have a lot of respect for Wisconsin. So I think that win against an unbeaten Wisconsin team wasn't viewed so favorably. Yeah, you're right. You're right, Mike. I I, did, so I don't, you know, honestly, I'm an Ohio, and I'm a USC guy, and I have good friends with Ohio State guy, and we talked about it all year long. These teams didn't deserve to be in the Final Four. Um, if it was an eight-team playoff, then, then they would be teams that you'd be really scared of because I think Ohio State and USC are capable of beating any team on any night. But Absolutely. they're capable as, of what they proved of losing to any team on any night. So for me, they, they were not consistent enough to make it in. I don't think either team, including the Trojans, who I root very highly for, they did not deserve to make the Final Four this year. No, you're absolutely right. And ultimately, I think even when you look outside of the uh, college football playoff, they got some really good bowl games lined up for us this really? year. I'm I excited agree. about it. I mean, let's start with, to me, I honed in on on my top seven bowl games are the Orange Bowl, where you have an opportunistic defense with Miami against my, uh, Wisconsin's power offense. That should be a great game. The Fiesta Bowl with Washington and Penn State. I mean, on both sides, you've got some top NFL prospects with Barkley and Dante Pettis on each side. Even the Outback Bowl between Michigan and South Carolina has some intrigue. You know, it'll be interesting to see if Harbaugh loses that game. What happens to him? Where does he go from here? Does he? See, I, I heard an know? interesting conversation about this recently. I don't think he can leave yet until he has that big season. You know, being being from Michigan, having coming back home there, I can't see him leaving and going somewhere else until he sets them up well because he wants this. He loves it there. He he. I think he's still hungry. To, to turn that program around a little bit. So I can't see him leaving until they take the next step to where they're in, you know, the, the final four or they're beating Ohio State again. Um, another one to me that I think is kind of interesting, Stanford TCU. I mean, that's going to be a very good – you have kind of 
uh, contrasting styles. Stanford's a, a, like a run, a defensive team, a run-heavy team. TCU's very, you know, capable of scoring. They can, you know, really, really lay it on. Um, a couple of really good coaches, too. So that, that game kind of jumped off the page at me. Stanford, TCU, Clemson, Bama, obviously, and USC, Ohio State. Those are the three games that I'm the most interested in. Yeah, I think the rounding out the the last couple for me would be UCF and Auburn. That should be a really good game too, especially with you know UCF's head coach leaving and Auburn. This is probably a letdown game for them. So I think even from a, a, a point spread perspective, it's got some intrigue on both sides there. I, I think I would almost lean towards the underdog just because um, they've got a lot more to prove, and and Auburn's probably disappointed as to the bowl game that they landed up with, uh, being in the Peach Bowl. And then, obviously, the Rose Bowl with Oklahoma and Georgia. That should be a fantastic matchup. And I, I, I just can't wait. I want to fast forward a couple of weeks just to be able to start this bowl season off. Yeah, it'll be coming up soon. And um, our guest last week, Mike uh, Monique, she's done something I was reading before we had her on last week. She did something where she bet and put up selections for all of the bowl games. And then she did the same thing later on for uh, March Madness in uh, in college basketball. So we got some good feedback with her uh, as a guest last week. We'll definitely have to touch base with her again during. Oh, and she season. killed it too. I mean, she oh, gave man. out some fantastic picks. I think she finished something like nine five and one with her selections. And what's really impressive about that is the um, she gave out fifteen picks. You know, yeah. she gave out a ton football, uh, college football, pro football, and then some props, and they were excellent. She was uh, she was spot on with, with almost all of her analysis, so great job. And even Scott um, Shapiro, we talked a lot about Wisconsin with him, but the only but that was more of a, he's a Wisconsin fan, he knows the team. He was being very honest with, with his thoughts in the game, and his only selection, he had uh, Georgia, and that was a game that I think he got involved in also. So um, really nice analysis from uh, the handicappers that we had on last week. They dished out 10 winners, I think, between the two of them. Yeah, absolutely. And if actually, if you if you kind of honed in on the games that Monique spent the most time talking about and the ones that she felt strong, most strongly about, her record is even a lot better than that. They weren't even close. Yeah, yeah, they really weren't close. Yeah. So, yeah, we definitely have to have her back again, dole out some locks for the bowl games. So I'm looking forward to that. Let's, where, we uh, where are we moving next? Where are we moving next, Nike? So many hot topics. Um I'd like to jump into baseball for a minute. I know we're in the yeah. off season, but this is kind of the the hot season for news. And there's a there's kind of a lot coming our way with the winter meetings upcoming here. And uh, let's just get it started with the big stick, John Carlos Stanton. Looks like there are three finalists: the Dodgers, the Giants, the Cardinals. Where do you think he lands? And what do you, where do you think is the best, most ideal spot for him? You know, I think he wants to come to the Dodgers. He grew up, uh, he, he went to Notre Dame Sherman Oaks High School about 20 miles away. I played against Notre Dame Sherman Oaks uh, in soccer when I was over at LaSalle a couple times. And he was incredible. He was a stud. So he's local. You know, he wants to come home. And who doesn't want to come out to L.A. and play here in L.A. where it's, uh, you know, 75, 80 degrees all the time. But I don't think the Dodgers are, are a fit for him. And one, I, I know the Dodgers, their goals have been to try to to get that payroll down I just can't see them taking him on, and I don't really think they need him. You know, you look at the Dodgers team last year, they were, you know, a few innings away from winning the World Series. They made it to Game 7 of the World Series. They had a, you know, they struggled in in uh, in the World Series against Houston, but Stanton, to me, fits much better with either St. Louis or San Francisco. Uh, I don't want to see him in San Francisco as a Dodger fan. I would definitely not like to have to face him uh, that many times throughout the season, but if you look at St. Louis' team, 
They have a lot of MLB-ready youngsters, a lot of young kids that were really carrying their team in uh, last year um, when St. Louis really started to play well. So I could see a, a move to St. Louis for a couple of young, already playing uh, ML, uh, already playing MLB future stars. I think that's what they want in return. I, I think they want a prospect or two, but they want a couple people that you can put in right now that are ready to play. And uh, I think St. Louis, from a personnel standpoint, they probably have the most to give back um, to what Miami wants. And I don't know. San Francisco seems we. It doesn't fit as well to me. He's gonna have to. He's gonna have to ag- agree to the deal wherever he's sent. Um, for me, I, I would put it St. Louis, San Fran as those two. Yeah, I mean, he's got a no trade clause. Obviously, that's been uh, discussed uh, greatly, and that's going to be the, the key to this deal. Here is where he ultimately decides. Obviously, there's going to be the flip side of the equation, which is what are teams getting back, and will will the Marlins, you know, be okay with that? The Giants are really depleted with their farm system. So if they give up anybody, it's going to hurt them for a long time to come because they got, they're going to have nobody left. If they give up the two or three prospects that they're talking about uh, exchanging for John Carlos Stanton. But here's the thing. I mean, you were talking about the Dodgers and whether they need him or not. Let me ask you this, Gino, I know you're a huge Dodger fan, but if you look at it objectively, do you think that Dodgers as a ball club are looking at this from the perspective of maybe some of their players had career years and, you know, you know they, if they're not able to, ma- to, to, to to replicate this last season, I know some guys probably have some upside, but I don't know. What do you think about that? I think the reason why they don't is because they're um they're the one of the deeper teams, and they're a real mix and match team. You know, so this past year, you know, Puy got a good year, but you know, a guy like Jock was pretty non-existent all through the year. And then Jock shows up in the playoffs. You know, Kiki, he's a guy that you can use to fill in anytime you need. People are forgetting about Andrew Tolls, who was the Dodgers' starting left fielder last year. He got hurt, and he didn't play the entire year. So you have another outfielder who's already going to be waiting in the wings. He was a starting outfielder. He started in the playoffs for the Dodgers last year. So they got Puig there. They got Chris Taylor, who was very good. Uh, you know, he's probably going to come back to life a little bit. But even if he does... You're gonna have you know five guys out there to uh, to kind of toggle around and to, to mix and match with what they did. So to me, I just don't think I don't think it's a necessity for for Stanton, and I don't I don't think the Dodgers are going to want to take on any additional salary. So I don't I don't see it happening in L.A. I really don't. Um, I do. well, it could be to um, you know, the Giants, you know. Maybe yeah. they're, they're 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 looking to uh, prevent their division rival from getting Stan because let's face it, the Giants had the opposite of the Dodgers. They had career worse years for most of their guys, and obviously Bumgarner was out for much of the year. Their closer Melanson was out for most of the year, so they could be a t- team that's looking at it from the perspective of we could turn this thing around in a big way. And obviously, it's a very competitive division with the Rockies and the Diamondbacks being young and. Well, to kind of transition you know. a little bit, Mike, I, I think San Francisco would be more in line for Otani. Um, I, to me, there are three teams that make the most sense for Otani. I think is what you said about San Fran. I could see them getting Otani instead of Stanton because that way they don't have to give up anything to get Otani. You know, you're just you're just paying for Otani. And 
from what I read, what uh, the Yankees general manager Brian Cashman said, he, he got the feeling when they spoke to Otani and the representatives that he wants to be on the West Coast and in a smaller than, than a major media market. So for me, the teams that made the most sense, San Fran, but there were two more in particular, Seattle. The Seattle general manager, DePoto, has already said they will let Otani DH in between starts, and they'll put Nelson Cruz in the outfield. So, you know, that would not shock me. And then you have the Padres. The Padres last year, they had Christian Betancourt as a pitcher, catcher, outfielder on their roster as a two-way player already. So to me, if you're looking at Otani and he wants to be a two-way type player, those are the two teams that have already done something like this. Seattle has already said publicly, we will let him. And the Padres have already done something like this last year. To me, you're on the West Coast. You're in, you know, smaller media markets in Seattle and San Diego. But you're you're still on the West. Those are two that, you know, might fit very well for Otani. Well, I mean, we're talking here about the Japanese Babe Ruth, right? 102-mile-an-hour fastball. He's got a forkball with a lot of late action. Hits for a lot of power. Fantastic athlete. He's got some speed. Bats left, throws right. Uh, of the teams that you mentioned, obviously anybody is going to stand to benefit from him because here's the key. This is a $250 million player that they're going to be getting for about $3.5 million dollars. To me, the thing that's mind-boggling is if he waits it out in Japan two more years and then he decides to come to the U.S., he'll be a $250 million type of guy. So I'm impressed by how much his desire is to play in the major leagues. I mean, he's really given up a lot of money, leaving a ton of money on the table. He's already signed with the top agency here in the United States with CAA. I'm sure they're going to do a fantastic job in, in shopping him around for his most ideal situation. The mayor's are because they've got a huge following in Japan due to Ichiro. The Padres are interesting because the Nippon Ham Fighters, who is his club in, in Japan, they actually do their spring training at the Padres spring training complex in February for the last couple of years. He did his rehab with the Cubs. The Rangers are the team that selected or landed his idol, his hero, Yu Darvish. So you start seeing a pattern. There's a connection to each one of the teams that are the finalists, and, and, yeah, and the then obviously, have had excellent, yeah. you know, excellent um, in the past with uh, many different Asian pitchers before. So they've they've kind of, and you know, it's Los Angeles from a, a media market standpoint. We we have some of the biggest, you know, Japanese, Chinese, uh, Filipino, just just huge. You get a huge melting pot out here in Los Angeles, especially you know for someone who like him who kind of wants to have like all that Asian media around covering him. Although the funny thing that I heard is that he. He doesn't want to be on a team with another Japanese player. It, that, that, that was kind of one of the things that he had mentioned. So some demands here. I think the key for him is finding a place that will at least um, flirt with his demands early on. And that's why, to me, the two most likely places would be Seattle and San Diego. Because I could see them being a little more radical. You know, San Diego has been a seller dweller for a little while. And they could do something to make a splash and to sell some tickets. In Seattle, you know, they, like I said, they've already come out and said, we'll let him DH in between starts. I think that might be the clincher, right? The ability yeah. to be able to hit. And, uh, you know, I think the Mariners, they could use, I don't want to call it a gimmick because he's. I no, think but he's you're right. No, you're right. So could the Padres. They both could. And, sure. and he's, 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 a, he's a player, but he's also a gimmick in that 
He's going to sell some tickets, and you don't know how this is going to work. We could be talking in two or three years that he's a great pitcher, but he's never going to hit again. We could be talking in two or three years that he's a great hitter, but he he got lit up when he tried to pitch. So, you know, we'll see. Because remember, this is the MLB, and nobody, nobody is successful at both. I mean, the closest things we get to it are guys like, you know, Micah Owings and Madison Bumgarner, who are good hitting pitchers. Yeah. Zach Franke, guys like that. But remember, when you got to focus as hard as you have to to get these top-level hitters out, you, you know, pitching-wise, that's all you can focus on. You don't even really have time to go take batting practice. Wouldn't it be funny if he wins a Cy Young and, and, and the batting title or something like that? <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> That'd be crazy. Well, let's take our first commercial break, Gino, and uh, we'll pick up uh, with a little bit more baseball and transition to some NBA. How does that sound? Sounds good. And then uh, Andrew Champagne will be joining us. We have uh, five football games that we're going to select, and then we'll talk a little racing with Andrew to close the show out. Sounds good. And then let's take our first commercial break, and we'll be back in a few short moments. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you're looking for more information on firearms and the shooting sports, check out Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Kelly is the owner of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks with over 40 years of experience. Now he's ready to share some industry luminaries and their perspectives with you. If you're interested in firearms, whether it be for shooting, for fun, competition, hunting, or self-defense, Kelly is here to share his wisdom and experience. Listen live for Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan, Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby on Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Mike and Gino here talking sports with you, and uh, we left off at the break talking a little baseball. And to continue on that path, what do you think of the Aaron Boone hire for the Yankees? You know, the Yankees skipper is obviously the most sought-after managerial job in the big leagues. You know, the guy broke my heart in 03. I'm just going to come out and say it. And most people that know me know that I'm a diehard Red Sox fan. And uh, when he hit that home run and extra innings off of Wakefield, that crushed me. But uh, I'm happy for him. I think he's going to be a good manager. He follows along the lines of the most recent trend in the majors, which is former players with no managerial experience or even coaching experience joining their former clubs. You know, we yeah, saw it with Council and Ventura and Osmus and A.J. Hinch and Dave Roberts and Dave Martinez, guys that connect with players. What do you think? You know, I like it. I do. Um, 
they it's an inspired choice and if you hear you hear Aaron Boone he wants to win he's about the long haul but he wants to he, he's even kind of said which I don't okay, a lot of Yankees fan about the, the day-to-day wins I'm worried about winning the championship at the end of the year so I think he's going to put a lot of the games um in into the uh the players hands he's going to give them the opportunity uh, I think it's a good select it's a good decision for me I think the other finalists they were they weren't really sexy names. This one is definitely going to make a splash. So I like the decision for the Yanks. They, they're a team that's pretty well set up. You know they got a lot of young talent right now, and I think they'll be fine for a, a few years to come. I want to give a shout to our buddy, uh, our buddy Dan uh, Keeneland Dan, who we uh, had on last week. He was giving us a, a nice tweet and, uh, and saying hello. So Dan's out there listening in uh, Cincinnati. He's got a couple big games coming up. They had a tough one last weekend, but um, yeah, for me, Mikey Boone, I think it's a good call. Okay, before we get to some NBA conversations and before we we bring in Andrew, we've got a caller uh, on hold. So why don't we bring in Justin from Brooklyn and uh, find what he's uh, wanting to talk about. Good afternoon, Justin. Hey, how you guys doing? Good, how you doing? What's going on, Justin? So Brooklyn, I got to imagine if you're calling from, from Brooklyn... You gotta want to be talk about the Giants and uh, and all the uh, the Eli Manning and the McAdoo and the Reese mess as a as a Brooklyn uh, resident and as someone who uh, who is kind of in the the Giants uh, fandom. What are your thoughts on all this? Well, I mean, I think McAdoo had to go. Uh, who I think is going to be the, the new coach? I mean, I have no idea. They've been saying Bill Cowher for the last ten years, but I mean, I. Eli probably was not playing well. You know, benching him wasn't the, the wrong decision. I just think, think the way he handled it, you know, he deserved to get the axe. But I gotta, I'm at work. I got to run, but I got the show playing in the background. Uh, real quick, who do, you think, who do you think will be the next coach of the Giants, and who do you think they take with their first-round pick? All right, guys, love talking okay. to you, and I'll keep listening. Thanks for calling, Justin. Awesome. Thanks, Justin. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with him. I didn't... I didn't think that benching Eli was necessarily the wrong move. I just thought that they went about it wrong. And that if for Geno Smith, you know, if you're, if you're going to do it for Webb or for a young prospect that you want to really see, but we kind of know Geno Smith now, he's a backup. You know, I think I actually, because he's my namesake, I actually don't think Geno <laughs> Smith is as bad as many people do. I think he's a very competent backup quarterback. I just don't yeah, think you just don't here. have a future for him as a starter though. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, if you're the Giants and you're going to select early, and it's funny that he asked, we have um, we had a topic that we kind of are going to table for a few weeks later, talking about who some of the NFL teams should pick early on for quarterbacks. And you know, you're right now. I think they have Rosen as the number one pick. We don't know what's going to happen with Darnold. He's going to be right up there too. So uh, Justin, who is a buddy of mine who lived in New York and Brooklyn for a while and is now out in LA, he knows Rosen and Darnold very well. He's seen them play uh, at UCLA and at USC quite a bit. I think he would be excited with either one of those prospects as a future prospect for the Giants. Yeah, I think they end up probably hiring internally. Um, That's kind of been the the Giants MO for, for, for some time. But, um, you know, we'll see what, what direction they go uh, in terms of the coaching search. And I think that'll dictate where, you know, what, what their viewpoint is on the quarterbacks that they have. I mean, I have no idea how well Davis Webb is developed or not. You know, he was a terrific quarterback at Cal. You know, they used a mid-round pick for him. So, 
you know, maybe he just needs a little bit of seasoning and, and maybe he'll be the guy. So I'm not convinced that they have to necessarily go the quarterback route. You know, a lot of it will also depend on where they land in terms of uh, the next the, couple the weeks. Spots. Yeah, I mean, the yeah, next the couple next weeks, few weeks are be because there's a lot there's a lot of bad at the, bo- at the at the bottom right there, and they're going to have to uh, to figure things out. But we will pick the Cowboys Giants game when Andrew Champagne comes on in just a minute or two. So uh, we'll get we'll pick that game against the spread. So Justin will be listening. He'll get an idea of how uh, how Andrew and I think about that Cowboys-Giants game this week. The Giant, uh, the Cowboys are a four-point favorite on the road against the Giants. Mike, before we bring in Andrew, you want to rattle through some uh, some quickly NBA quarter season awards? We're like, everybody's played about 20 games or so. So now we kind of have a, a good idea of what it looks like. And for me, a couple things that just couple I wanted to mention. I thought the MVPs, you know, LeBron, the Cavs has won 13 in a row. Harden, Houston's 18-4. and four. They've won seven in a row, and CP3 only played in eight games. And then Kyrie Irving. You know, Boston's 22-4. and four. They lost Hayward, and they went on a 16-game winning streak. To me, those are the three leaders for MVP right now. I agree with your first two, and I, I, I'm, I'm, it's a very close call between Kyrie, but I'm going to give a slight edge to Boogie Cousins. Oh, I, know that, I know that the Pelicans aren't necessarily tearing it up, but... This guy is, is bringing down, you know, almost 26 points and 12 and a half rebounds a game. I like that and, one. And, you know, this, 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 he's just having a monster season. Da- I love him with the Kings. Missing, uh, yeah, when Davis, and when, especially when Davis doesn't play, he really steps up. And he's been, yeah, he's been really, really fun to watch. That's a good call, Mike. Yeah. So what are your thoughts about uh, your, your rookie of the year selections, uh, Midway I, Point? I'm going to cheat a little bit on rookie because Ben Simmons is the hands down the rookie of the year so far, but he's not a rookie. He's going to win it because he sat out last year. We saw the same thing happen with Blake Griffin and we've seen it happen before. But for me, the other three rookies, Donovan Mitchell, 17 points a game, uh, a couple of rebounds, a couple of assists, a steal, uh, almost a steal and a half and almost two and a half threes. Jason Tatum, who's just under 14 points, uh, over five rebounds, over and and then Kuzma. Kuzma's leading the Lakers in scoring. He's Kuzma was in the tw- uh, 27th pick, 28th pick, 16.8 points per game, 6.5 rebounds per game, an assist and a half, and, uh, and 1.73s per game. So for me, those are the rookies. We kind of transition into coaches. I think coaches is a little easier. You got you got to have Brad Stevens and Mike D'Antoni, I think, because they're what they've been doing with their two teams atop uh, the East and the West very impressive. My 40, uh, 40 and eight between the two of them. Yeah, incredible. And and they've had losses. You know, the CP3 and Hayward have been yep. out for both teams. So they've been, you know, really, really, really putting the pieces in the right spots. And then Nate McMillan, for me, the Pacers coach. They're 14-11 after the Paul George trade. And Miles Turner, he missed, uh, he's only played 17 games. He had a slow start. And then you, you transition from them into one of the most disappointing teams with Oklahoma City, where they've been in 11, 11 and 12 so far. Yeah, uh, to me, the, dis- the the three big disappointments have to be uh, all in the West. OKC, the Clippers at 8 and 15, and Memphis at 8 and 16. All, all three of these teams, obviously, uh, big Memphis lessons. already fired their coach. Yeah, yep. you know. And Memphis is behind the Lakers and the Suns. I'll put the Lakers down there. Not that I thought the Lakers were going to be, you know, a top four team in the West, but I thought they'd creep a little closer to 500. And they were playing pretty well to start the season. They were 8-10. and 10. Uh, They didn't really have any bad losses. But in their last five games, they've really struggled, really, really struggled. And it's not going to get any easier for the Lakers coming in December. They've got a tough, tough schedule coming up. To me, the surprise teams, Mike, I think they're all out in the East. 
I had the Pacers at 14 and 11, the Pistons at 14 and 10, and the Knicks who are 12 and 12. And mainly because, you know, the Pacers and the Knicks, they get rid of their franchise players, uh, Paul George and Carmelo Anthony, and the teams have improved. I agree with you completely on the Pistons and Pacers. Uh, you know, also the next third surprise team would actually be Minnesota. Not that they weren't expected to be good, but they're fourth in the West. 15 yeah. and 11. So I'll, I'll give it to, to one team in the West. Tough conference, obviously. Minnesota Timberwolves being in fourth place at 15 and 11. There are our NBA quarter season awards and uh, perfect timing to bring on our next guest, a good friend of mine. I have frequented many Monday Night Raw, WWE events, uh, sporting events. I think that's that's a skill, Andrew. He's a good handicapper. He knows racing. He knows sports. He likes to play it all. But in my opinion, Mr. Champagne, I think your greatest skill is your ability to find these tickets for like three bucks to awesome fun events or concerts. It's a skill, isn't it, Andrew? Well, thank you for that introduction, Gino and Mike. Hi, how are you? Um, yeah, good morning, uh, Andrew. It's, it's funny the way that that happened, because I can pinpoint the exact moment when I realized, wait a minute, this can be done. I had moved out to Los Angeles from upstate New York. This was in the winter between 2013 and 2014. And I was watching a USC basketball game against Cal. This was the first year of the Andy Enfield era at USC, and the team was, to be very kind, not good. They, they had some problems. And I was watching the game on ESPN. I think Walton was doing the game, and he was going off on his usual ramblings. And I looked in the stands. They showed a wide shot of the Galen Center, and there was nobody there. So I think to myself, there's nobody there. Then the light bulb goes off. Wait a minute. I live here now. So (laughs) as such, I began spending a lot of time just looking for cheap tickets. And that was... uh, something that I actually was, was pretty good at for a long time. I'd say I'm a little bit past my peak because the site that I used to use went out of business because, funny story, when you buy tickets at face value and sell them for 3 or $4, it's not an efficient business model. <laughs> so they got bought by somebody else, and there's something completely different than what they were when they started. But uh, at any rate, it's a, it's a fun little thing to do, and it makes for some pretty cheap nights out, especially when you can get to the building for more money than you spend getting into the building itself. <laughs> Andrew Champagne here with us. Andrew has worked at HRTV, TVG, now over at DRF. Uh, he's done a little bit of everything over uh, at Saratoga. He continues to do selections for all of the uh, races at the Saratoga meet in the paper there. Andrew is a fantasy sports player. He's a gambler. He actually just got back from Vegas where you actually had a couple pretty good weeks. I was following along on Twitter, your, uh, your selections and some of your plays. You did very well, Andrew. I didn't have to sell my hair to a wig shop, which is always a plus when you go to Vegas. <laughs> you know, it's always the possibility when you go there that you'll come back and have to sell something to pay for the return flight home. But on a serious note, no, I actually did okay, especially with NFL games. I went 3-0 and the Sunday before last. I went 3-0 and this past Sunday as well. The only thing that prevented me from having a massive day is I played a cheap five-game parlay, went four out of five, and the only thing that I missed on was the Chargers and Browns point total. I thought that they would score more points, and as it turned out, 
In the second half of that game, both teams had some really long drives that didn't lead to any points. The Chargers have had kicker issues. The Browns are the Browns. And as such, this little parlay for, I forget how much I played it for. It wasn't for much, but it was something like a 20 to 1 potential return, and that sputtered. But the standalone games that I played, I, I've been doing fairly well, and hopefully that continues into this week. As Gino, I know you had mentioned this in the past, we're, we're going head to head here. And as someone who is yeah. overly competitive to the point of being a problem, I need to do well here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, uh, um, last and and the pressure is on. Last week we had uh, the pressure's on for both of us because last week Scott Shapiro and Monique from Covers they both did uh, very very good on the show, giving out some selections. Dave came on with us a few weeks back. He overall Dave and I didn't do great that day, but I think Mike the game that he said if your dying grandma gives you her last hundred dollars, play it on the over. It did go over. So uh, <laughs> it did go over. So Dave did hit that one, and uh, that will uh, that will and, lead and, us. And he got to save grandma, so that's all. Yeah, that's all good. he got to save grandma, so <laughs> that will transition us perfectly into this week's five games that we're going to play. Mike, you want to set them up for us? Yeah. Matchups this weekend, I think the one that I'm most intrigued about, I want to start with, which is Jacksonville versus Seattle. The line is two and a half. The over-under is set at 39 and a half. This is a big matchup for both teams. I mean, I think Seattle, it's almost a must win for them if they have any shot at winning the division. Because if they win this game, they got one more head-to-head matchup against the Rams. Then they're in, in, in pole position to be able to, you know, sweep that division. They'll have the tiebreaker. So, where do you guys land? Let's start with you, Andrew. Jacksonville, Seattle, two and a half point spread. Just to be clear, Russell Wilson is getting points from Blake Bortles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. pointing that yeah. out. Yeah, that. Yeah, okay, you're right. Okay, I'll take the points. <laughs> I, I'm right with you. You know that, and that was honestly that's a lot of what it comes down to. If it's a close game, do you want to put your faith and your money? in Blake Bortles or Russell Wilson. And the way Russell Wilson is playing right now, I can see this game, you know, Seahawks driving, kick a game-winning field goal, Seahawks driving, Russell Wilson rolling out, getting a first down, rolling out, getting a first down, a little rolling out, running. Fournette's been banged up a little bit too. Um, the Jags' defense is good, but I like Seattle right now. They're they're peaking in typical Seattle fashion, even with all the injuries. So I'm with you, Andrew, on this one. We're on the same side. Let's take the points on Seattle. I wouldn't even mind playing this game money line. You know, if you're going to get a little bit extra, you could maybe get yourself a plus 130, maybe even like a plus 140 if you play Seattle straight up. Well, I mean, before we get too carried away with that, though, I mean, I don't disagree with anything that you guys are saying. But what I will remind you is this. Typically speaking, teams that come from the West Coast and go to the East Coast underperform a little bit. And you're talking about, about a home team with a great defense and a good running game. But I agree with Andrew. Bortles is the big wild card in this Russell Wilson is playing at MVP levels. He's What's the number right now? Eighty-six percent of the team's offense, or something like that, is is being generated by Russell Wilson. I mean, it's ridiculous, ridiculous what he's doing, and I don't think he's got the greatest talent around him as well. Russell Wilson, in my opinion, is highly underrated. I know everybody seems to love him, and he's got that smile and a great personality and everything, but he's still not talked about with the likes of Brady and Breeze and you know, the, the top the top tier quarterbacks in the league and Aaron Rodgers and Roethlisberger, et cetera. To me, he's right there with them. If he had the supporting cast of any of those other clubs, I, I think he'd already have two or three Super Bowls maybe on yeah, the offensive more, side, that is. One more ring and that'll and, and he'll be fine or uh, one more, one less bad Pete 
Carroll play call on the one yard line and, <laughs> and he'd be fine. <laughs> well, I, before we move on here, I, I tend to agree with that, especially Mike's point about the supporting cast. He's got a couple of very good skill players around him. Doug Baldwin, I think, may be the most underrated wide receiver in the league, and Jimmy Graham is Jimmy Graham. The thing with Russell Wilson, and Gino, you hinted at this about him rolling out and rolling out and rolling out. Mike, Gino, the three of us, I think, we wouldn't start on the Seattle offensive line. We get some playing time. They <laughs> run their sure. quarterback very little in the way of favors in terms of keeping him upright. And Russell Wilson has been a magician in terms of extending plays and making things happen. And as mentioned, you know, I wouldn't mind playing this game on the money line, as you mentioned, as well. Jacksonville is a good team with a very very good defense. People forget, though, even without Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor, the Seattle defense is no slouch either. That front seven is one of the best front sevens in all of football. Jacksonville's got a good run game. They're going to be tested in this one. Without a doubt. Mike, before I'll tell you we go to break, I got to, uh, I got to give a shout-out, though, because our caller from earlier, Justin from Brooklyn, I know he's listening because he just texted me and said, Make sure you let everybody know that I called Russell Wilson being great his sophomore year when he was at NC State. So <laughs> got to give Justin some props because he did call this out 10 years ago to me when we were uh, when we were watching Russell Wilson before he even came to the NFL. We appreciate Justin listening and giving us a call in earlier on. So, uh, let, Mikey, we should probably take a break. We can come back and pick the other four and then uh, dive into a few races with Andrew. Let's do it. We'll be right back in a few short moments. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Get ready for the Get Down with Hurley Brown. Want to get inside of the minds of the players and coaches? We'll talk everything sports, but with a focus on the NFL, NBA, and college football. We'll review and preview the week's big games. We'll talk about the draft choices and free agents and go inside the teams for news, recruiting, and what's next from the colleges to the pro teams. It's the Get Down with Hurley Brown, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific, on Voice America Sports. Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety Ray Ellis on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fan's perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network and let's talk football. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. 
Thank you for coming back with us. It's Mike Abbott here, Gino Bacola, and the DRF's Andrew Champagne doing our NFL rundown. We left off talking about the Jacksonville-Seattle matchup. We'll move on now to another outstanding AFC West showdown. This is probably going to be decisive in terms of who wins the AFC West. Talking about the Chiefs minus four at home against the Oakland Raiders. Over under set of 47. Critical, crucial matchup. There's a sinking ship with the Chiefs. They're losing to both New York teams, which is a joke, especially considering how they started off this season on fire. People were talking about them as legitimate Super Bowl contenders, having the New England Patriots number. The Raiders started off the season pretty well, had Super Bowl aspirations, had a mid-year slide, looked to be coming on as this season gets into the final quarter. What are you guys' thoughts? Andrew, let's start with you. Chiefs, Raiders. Well, my thought is that the AFC West is a complete and total disaster right now. You had the Chiefs who, as recently as six weeks ago, we were potentially talking up as a Super Bowl team. Alex Smith was playing the best football of his life. The Kansas City Chiefs defense was playing well. That team looked like a well-oiled machine. And in the past four to six weeks, it seems like other teams have sort of figured them out, how to attack that defense. And the offense hasn't played horribly, but it has been a case where they've gotten themselves into certain situations that a good team shouldn't have gotten themselves into. The Raiders, meanwhile, have gotten themselves back on the right track, but they've done so by getting very, very lucky. They were 4-6 and six two weeks ago. They caught the Broncos when Paxton Lynch started, and we all know how well that went. And then last week... They caught the Giants when the Giants were starting Geno Smith and all of the nonsense with Ben McAdoo was happening. Uh, So this is one of those games where certainly both teams are treating this as a must-win situation, especially given how close that division is, with the Chargers at 6-6 and as well. I went with the Raiders getting four points simply because the Chiefs' defense is such a mystery right now, and the suspension of Marcus Peters, who left the Jets game on his own without being ejected, came back without wearing socks, and proved to be a ridiculous distraction. I don't think that suspension is going to help that defense. For all of his antics, Marcus Peters is one of the best cornerbacks in the league when he's on his game. I think that's going to hurt them against a Raider passing attack that's got some weapons. Ejected himself, and he got rid of the flag. Threw a flag. I've like. never seen that happen. I never. That seen was awesome. Pick up the flag and throw it into the stands. That was great, um, Andrew. I'm I'm with you on a lot of it, and I'm with you on the Raiders. Um, the Chiefs signed Darrell Revis, and I if you didn't see him play last week, I I don't I haven't noticed if they've cut him yet, but I don't know how they haven't. He missed a He's couple done. tackles, and he, oh my god, he looks so slow, and and that's where the Chiefs are defensively. They they were bringing in Revis and guys like that to try to fill you know uh, to try to fill their secondary. I'm with you. I, I could see this game being very close, but I, I can't in any way back the Chiefs right now. I'm taking the Raiders plus four, and I know Mike is very happy with you and I, um, Andrew. The beers that he promised us that he bribed us if we pick the Raiders. So we'll, we'll <laughs> later. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. What what happened to Hunt, guys? What happened to Hunt? I mean, what happened to 150, 200 yards total total yards a game? It's a volume thing, honestly, too, right now. He's not getting he's not getting anything out of the passing game, which he was getting three, four, five receptions earlier on. And he's 
you know, their offensive line wise, he's getting no help up front. And it's a little bit of everything struggling. Andrew mentioned their offense overall is not really playing poorly. They they've scored 14 points right off the bat last week. They were up 14 nothing, and they were throwing the ball all over the field. Uh, you know, look at Alex Smith's numbers last week. They were good. To me, it's just a combination of, of everything, as Andrew had said. You got you have players that are kind of you know going off. You have a defense that's starting to struggle. Alex Smith he played well last week, but he's come back to life a, a little bit, and it's just. You're getting some of these weird Andy Reid things that Andy Reid's kind of always done year to year. It's 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 pretty funny right now, and we're I, we're both going to be on the Raiders plus the four. Yeah, it's a there big matchup because one of... hesitation that I've got really quick. Uh, Go for the it. only thing that makes me a little bit nervous about backing the Raiders is this is a Raiders defense that has been very susceptible to talented tight ends. Last week, Evan Ingram was the Giants' main offensive playmaker. He ran all over the field. Without Evan Ingram, the Giants get completely destroyed last week. The Chiefs had Travis Kelsey, who was one of the top tight ends in football. That's the only thing that makes me nervous. But if the Raiders stop Travis Kelsey, I think they've got a shot at winning this outright. And, you know, I think this might be a decent money line play, too. You're right. I agree with you. Both both the, the first two that we talked about, Seattle plus the two and a half and the Raiders plus the four. I'm actually going to have three games that out of the five that I think are interesting money line plays. I'll kind of lead to the next one and then you can uh, you can take it, take the ball after Andrew of uh, Vikings Panthers. Um, the Panthers are at home. They're two and a half to three point underdogs at home. The Vikings have been one of the top two or three teams in football this year. They have been excellent. Case Keenum is you know a top 10 quarterback in the league this year, which is just incredible seeing what him and Goff are both doing after getting away from Fisher. To me, I'm going to go with the Panthers, though, at home. I think they need this game more than the Vikings do. I think the Panthers will win the game at home, so this would be the other money line play that I take, the Panthers plus the two and a half or the three, or if you can get, if you want that money line, I think you take it. I had a pretty tough time with the point spread on this game. I thought this was a game between two very good teams. Vikings obviously have been one of the top teams in football this year with that story of quarterback with Case Keenum holding off Teddy Bridgewater with a whip and a chair at this point. But he has played some very good football, complete with a defense that may be the best unit in football. Uh, the Panthers, they got beat by the Saints last week. That was at the Superdome. The Panthers may be a better team at home. I went away from the spread in this one and concentrated on the point total. Uh, I went with the over on this one. I thought the over-under point total was pretty reasonable. I think both offenses can move the football. All roots for points in this one. Anybody know what the weather's like uh, in, in this outdoors game? You know, I have, I'll look it up right now as we, move up, as we transition to the next one. So uh, set us up for, uh, for the next one, Mikey. Another big matchup. This is probably going to determine the seedings in the NFC. Uh, you know, Philadelphia is coming off of a loss. The Rams obviously are on a roll. The Rams are two and a half point favorites here in LA hosting Philadelphia. It'll be interesting to see if the Philadelphia Eagles can bounce back from a tough loss against Seattle. They've stayed locally. They didn't fly back home to Philly. They're actually practicing in Anaheim stadium, sharing it with the angels. And, um, uh, We'll, we'll 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 see you know if uh, if what the Philadelphia Eagles have in them what is their makeup like if they can bounce back they're obviously a young team and uh, this will be the first bit of adversity and you know tough NFC West matchups in back to back weeks so two and a half point spread 
49 and a half over under. Andrew, where are you citing? This was the game that I had the toughest time with of five. Uh, the Rams and the Eagles are both playoff teams, both tremendous stories. Carson Wentz has emerged as an MVP candidate with some of the things he's been able to do with a supporting cast that isn't spectacular. They did get Jay Ajayi, but other than that, in terms of skill players, there's not a lot there at the wide receiver and tight end spots for that offense. And the Rams, we've all seen Sean McVay and Jared Goff come together and engineer an offense that's gone above and beyond anyone's wildest expectations. However, I keep thinking that these are two second-year quarterbacks that are both still young, and they're prone to the occasional dud games against good defenses. Both of these defenses are very good. You had mentioned that the over-under was 49-and-a-half. I looked just before we went on the air. That number's gone up to 51. As such, I'm taking the under in this one. To me, this screams a 24-21 kind of game, not necessarily a defensive struggle, but a couple of three and outs, maybe some long drives that stall around midfield. I'm going to take a chance and go under here. I wouldn't be surprised if I'm completely blown up with two quarterbacks combined for about 900 passing yards. But given the defenses that are involved, given that they're both second-year quarterbacks, and given that this is a pretty big game, and also the Eagles ran into a good defense last week and only scored 10 points. So I'm going to go with the under in this one. I'll root for both defenses in what should be a really fun game to watch. Uh, you like, go, you know? I'm going to go with the Rammies, Mike. You know me. I'm on the Ramily. i got to stay with them. Minus the two and the half. Uh, this is a very good football game. The Rams have been excellent all year long. They're very good at home. Andrew, I think your score prediction is spot on. This, to me, just looks like a good football game with two good teams that are going to go back and forth, and I think it's going to be a close game, but I think it's going to be the Rams by under a touchdown. I think uh, I will take the Rams minus the two and a half, and it's going to be sunny in the uh, the Carolina game. Looks like it's supposed to be 0% chance of rain on Sunday for, uh, for that Carolina game. So you're over as far as the weather is concerned. Really shouldn't play into that one for Andrew. we got to kind of rattle through the last one, Andrew. Uh, the Cowboys-Giants. I'm going to go with the Giants plus the four at home. Eli starting again. I think the Cowboys will win this game, but I can see it being by a field goal. It's always the fire the coach, team steps up a little bit week after angle. That's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is that the Giants are completely in turmoil from the top down, and the Cowboys have something to play for. We saw last week the Cowboys demolish the Washington Redskins They've got a couple of extra days to prepare for this game. I'm going the complete opposite direction from you. I think the Cowboys win this one, and I don't think it's close. So we got five games, and two of them were on the same. We're both with Seattle, plus the two and a half, and the Raiders, plus the four. And uh, we both think Moneyline might be interesting in those plays. I'm going to take the Panthers, plus the points. Andrew's going to go over in the Panthers-Vikings. I'm going to take the Rams minus the two and a half. Andrew is going to go under in the Eagles-Rams. And then I'm we're going to go uh, head up against each other in the Cowboys-Giants. I'm taking the Giants plus the four. Andrew is taking the Cowboys on the road minus the four. Good stuff. So we got about a minute and a half and 90 seconds. Uh, let's talk a little racing. And uh, Andrew, if you could share with us how everybody can follow you. Sure. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Andrew Champagne. I've also got my own personal website, andrewchampagne.com, where I'll up once or twice a week. I also run a lot of the daily racing forums, social media platforms, Twitter at DRF Inside Post. I'm also the main guy behind at DRF Formulator as well. We give out a couple of trainer angles uh, throughout every racing day, and that's a lot of fun as well. So those avenues are, are probably the best in terms of following information that I've got a hand in. 
No, so in 30 seconds or yeah, I was just going to say in 30 seconds or less, you got a, a horse for us to look out for? Uh, sure. Actually, Saturday, race one, Los Alamitos. Los Al's card may be a little bit disappointing with short fields in grade one race, but I'll take a shot in the opener. Number two, La Chepas. There's a lot of speed signed on there. I like that this one was professional in the win last time out. She was claimed by Keith Bistermo. This is an optional claimer. He could have entered this horse for a tag, but he protects her in this spot. I think that's a ringing endorsement from a guy who tends to move horses up after the claim. That's horse number two, La Chepas, race one on Saturday, Los Alamitos. Outstanding. Well, we thank you very, very much for joining us, Andrew. You really brought it. Good stuff. We'll post. Make sure you all take a highlights. picture, Andrew, of your uh, your Indiana jumpsuit so we can all post uh, that you were <laughs> yes. Caleb for today. <laughs> the internet's not ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, buddy. Uh, we'll touch base again soon. Really appreciate the hard work you put in. And really we thank you guys. You having me on, guys. Take care. Thanks, Andrew. And we thank all you listeners for joining us today. Get Please to come iTunes, five-star yeah. ratings, five-star reviews. Uh, we'll have Caleb talking some college basketball next week. Sounds good. You guys have a terrific sports weekend, and we'll see you next Thursday on the Mike, Mike Abadir Show. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a great week.